It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, Russ, the NFL was pretty boring this weekend, right? No, actually, we have to give credit. Give credit where credit's due. You know, they did have a good weekend. Um, it's funny because people wanted to make fun of me because I picked Atlanta over over Philly online, and it's like, wait a minute. It came down to the last play. It's yeah. not like it was 34-7 to 7 or something where that was like, where would you come up with that pick? So all the games were close. I, I, you know, it's interesting. The, the Minnesota one, I guess, is the one that ended up garnering the most attention. And well, the, the Tennessee one was not close. New, New England, it no, was that wasn't close. But I, I, I ignore New England. Like, that's a guarantee. Nobody right. expected it to be close. Nobody would ever pick Tennessee. So I just – I take that out of the equation. Now, the thing is, with the, with the Minnesota game, what's interesting is – Kevin will appreciate this one because I disagree with it. More on the missed play – by a defensive back than the great throw by the quarterback and an ensuing touchdown. It's like, you know what? At the end of the day, when sports comes down to crunch time, mistakes are made and great plays are made. And Case Keenum is like maybe the best story that the NFL has going this year. And people want to focus on, well, that guy didn't make the play. And it's like, come on, that, that was a great play. Well, it is interesting. And, you know, that, that happened in hockey. And, you know, I talk about that all the time. It's just kind of a joke, but you know, it was like a Tuesday, like uh, 20 yeah. years ago, where I'm in a press box, and instead of talking about what a great play the guy made to score the goal, somebody said, "Well, somebody got beat on that play," and you know, <laughs> we started reversing uh, how we look at every goal. Now, you know, whenever there's a goal, you run to figure out who got beat. Right. Some of the more classic goals uh, in NHL history. Now, if they happen, we blame the goalie. Or right. we would blame, you know, I mean, think of the gate, great Guy Lafleur shot against uh, uh, Gilbert, um, you know, coming down the wing and firing that puck. If that happened in a game to now, like, you, you would crucify the goalie upside down, you know, in print um, for giving up, a, you know, that you know that goal. But uh, two things about, about yesterday's Minnesota game. Um, uh, first of all, I did a radio show this morning, and I was asked, like why so many people love the Vikings. And I went, what do you mean? And and they sort of have the impression that the Vikings are kind of a national team. I, I have never felt that. Have you, Russ, that the, the no, Vikings? Never. I mean, it's if only- you're going to tell me Fran Tarkenton's Vikings with Bud Grant was a national team, I'd laugh. No, the, yeah. the, you know what it is? They're the Bills before the Bills. They're the team that yeah. lost three or four Super yeah. Bowls. And, you know, they, they had that 15-1 and one season and then lost to Chris Chandler in the Atlanta Falcons. You know, they're the team that – they're sort of the, the Atlanta Braves of the NFL now. I mean, they, they just – they fall, always fall if short. I name Chuck Foreman, like how many people really get excited? Like, you know. Well, yeah. Well, this is Foreman. <laughs> I mean, this obviously was – we're Canadians talking about this. And apparently in Canada, there are a lot of Minnesota Vikings fans. But I, yes. you know, okay. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, going all the way back to Bud Grant, who obviously had been a CFL – and yeah, Joe, yeah, Cap, Joe Cap, yeah, Joe Cap, and all you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so you know, I was kind of, I said, I, I could, you know, you're asking the wrong guy because you know, I'm, I grew up in Michigan, and we certainly did not in Michigan see the the Minnesota Vikings as a kind of a national, uh, you know, team. But you know, that that game was unbelievable. Like I, I've witnessed a lot of sporting events, obviously, in my life. And uh, you know, the number of lead changes and the kicking of the yeah. long field goals and what struck me about that game, and I bet Russ was just the same way, like you knew each time that it was going to happen. Like you'd yep. sense that Minnesota was going to kick the field goal. You sensed that New Orleans was going to do it. And for some reason, I thought that the Vikings weren't done, you know, at the end. Like I well, thought – 25 seconds to go, I admit, I figured they were cooked. I, I didn't. I just, you know, I just had a sense that – I mean – I thought it was likely they were done, but you know, I hung in there. Like I didn't, I didn't turn, turn it off, off though. I mean, I could have turned it off. I didn't yeah, do that's that. That's what I'm saying. I, I didn't turn it off, you know. But yeah. I, you know, with preseason picks, like I, 
I have the standard line when the <clears throat> when somebody gets too on me about picks, and I just I've sent it for uh, I probably sent one line for about fifteen years, and I stopped sending that because it was getting too old. But I quoted the the Las Vegas Gaming Commission uh, head of he says, you know, you know, we make four at the time it was like three point one billion dollars a year off people who actually believe they can forecast the outcome of sporting events. Uh, that's what I would send off to people. Now, what I send off to them, I said, you know, the only difference between a sports writer and as a fan is a sports writer knows, and we have no clue. Who's well, I know one thing: Vegas got it pretty close because the the spread in that Minnesota New Orleans game was four and a half. Now, imagine if you had New Orleans plus four and a half, and you lose by half a point on that play. And then the thing is, it you know, events sort of. Um, conspired against the Saints because they normally, if if, if the score wasn't 24-23, they would have been playing in a prevent, and because they were trying to prevent the field goal, they had to play a sort of a base defense, and it allowed that play to happen. Um, the, the honestly, though, the most surprising thing of the entire weekend was the pop gun Jacksonville Jaguars offense. And the team scoring forty-five points against the Steelers, they 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 looked like they were playing the wing T against the Bills. But the, the Bills' previous defense weekend. is much better. That's what I keep trying. No, it's, to it's not. It's, it is Mike. You are way too close to it. You don't get how much better the Bills' defense is than the Steelers. That's really what the bottom line in that matchup was. Well, go, going back to the Minnesota game too, yep. the thing that that puzzled me about the whole missed tackle was how unintelligently. He played that. Yeah. Like he, right. he, you know, most defensive backs in that situation are situational. You know, they, they know right. what the story is. They know what has to be done. You know, basically you allow him to catch the ball right in front of you, but you get your arms around him and you're just going to hold him from going out of bounds. Right. You know, like he tried to destroy like, disrupt him. him. Yeah. 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 Disrupt him like that, like that. He he just played that. But you know, again, so Pat, that's a choke in your mind. Yeah. Chris Weber, you think Chris Weber didn't know he was out of timeouts? He knew yeah. he was out of timeouts, and yet somehow asked for a timeout. Like that was Mar ridiculous. Marcus Williams looked like he wanted to yeah. put a Jack Tatum type of hit on this guy. He and did, he but I think that's when, like, that's stress, and stress causes bad moments like that in sports, and great moments for the guy that doesn't, you know, have that happen to him. Like it's just. It's one of those things. I did want to mention something real quick. There's somebody who shot me a note. Kevin may appreciate this. There's a there's a musical opening in um, in Detroit in April of 2018, so in a few months, and it's going to be based on the life of Lewis Sharp, an NFL offensive tackle yet battle with drug abuse and stuff. And they're looking for actors. So follow my Facebook feed and my Twitter feed. I'm going to have more information about it up there. But it's a grassroots sort of show, and – I thought I'd give her some pub because it's somebody who's just, you know, trying to do something good. So okay. All right. Let's get the show started. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, January 15th, 2018. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. Kevin Allen of USA Today Sports. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. want to start with uh, a game on Saturday night between the Ducks and the Kings. And, you know, it was a 4-2 win for the Ducks, a team that I think still is going to climb back into the playoff race and be, you know, be a not a force, but be a part of the part of what happens in the Western Conference playoff scene. But I have to start off with the fact that the game had three fights in about four seconds at the beginning of the first period, which Kevin is part of the game that I've always enjoyed, and I just. It was stark how like how much talk there was about it, and I came to the realization that fighting has so dropped so much from the scene that something that maybe 10, 15 years ago would have not garnered any kind of big interest. It was like, oh my God, it was the talk of Twitter, three fights in four seconds, and it just reflects how much fighting has dissipated from, from the game. Yeah, and you know, I, I think – this is the way that fighting should have been taken out of the game is the way it happened, where it was just a natural evolution of the game. Uh, you know, the way the game has gone and the, you know, how fast it is and, you know, the need to, uh, 
you know, you, you you couldn't afford to have roster spots dedicated to guys who couldn't, you know, play uh, a, a normal role or a normal shift. And, you know, that's what's happened. I mean, you know, no, nobody legislated fighting out of the game. It just sort of took itself right. out of the game. So, right. you know, that's the way it is. So that's why when, when these fights do happen, I say, hey, look, even if you don't like fight, fighting, this is just a natural occurrence and you're, you're going to have them. I mean, the fighting the way we knew it years ago is gone like yeah. that. You know, that, that doesn't play a role anymore. Uh, it, it really doesn't. So if these kind of things happen, they happen and we move on. And, Ra- and Randy Carlisle is still a throwback coach, Russ, and he put Jared Bull in the lineup and he fought, uh, I think it was Curtis McDermott. And then there was Kevin Bieksa, who's a, you know, one of their six defenders, but it was him against Andre and Andy Andreoff. And then uh, I think the third one was Clifford and, uh, and Nick Ritchie and Nick Ritchie knocked him out with a punch. So, yeah. but you know, look, I mean, again, these are two teams that hate each other. Yeah. And so a lot of it is spontaneous. Although Bieksa, ever since the Superman punch, like I was at that game in Philly where he used it. And now, you know, and he was smirking after, like, this has now become like a thing for Bieksa more than his actual play. Where before, I think we used to, you know, look at him both ways. Like, hey, he was a good. You know he's a tough guy, but he could play, and and now it's like that's his persona. So well, he, he broke he broke his hand on the first one. I know, I know. Now the thing that got the most notice from this game, and I, I'm sort of a little bummed. He, he may have deserved it, but to end Andrew Cagliano's, uh, I think it was 830 game yeah. consecutive streak. I mean. Kevin, I think he deserved a suspension, but I thought that there was some way that the, the that the league would say, okay, you know, you're gonna get off off with the with the biggest fine and a warning because I don't know if he's ever come close to getting suspended, but they suspended him for two games and now his 830 game consecutive streak is over with. Yeah, and I know some people think that you know that's a wrong way to lose a streak, and um, certainly that's a different situation, but. You know, I kind of commend everybody for saying, you know, this is part of it. You know, part of the streak is, is part of it. You know, is not setting out uh, um, for um, you know pay disputes or uh, you know getting suspended and right. uh, you know some of the other issues as well. So I was kind of glad everybody just handled it the way it should have been handled because I agreed. I mean, didn't I mean if you looked at it, you thought he was going to be suspended. Like it, it right. it's not like it's it's unwarranted. Um, they didn't uh, try to undermine his streak. They looked at the situation, thought he deserved a suspension, and he got it. And, you know, he deserved it. So, you know, that's the end of the streak. You know, it's too bad. Um, and But, you know, the one thing is, you know, he'll still have another streak going because we will always know, you know, that it's the first – once this is over and he's injured, we'll say, well, that's the first time he ever missed a game, you know, through injury. He had played a 1,000 games in a row. He did – sit out to when he was suspended. So, you know, there'll be some sort of mention of this keep going. Uh, just It just won't be the official streak in the chasing of Doug Jarvis anymore. Yeah, it's, it's you know what it is? It's, it's, look, it's part of the sport. Like Cal Ripken would have had to have hit somebody with a bat over the head to get suspended or curse out an umpire to the point where he charged him to get suspended to lose his streak, right? In baseball, right. it just doesn't happen. But in hockey, it happens all the time. Yeah, no, no, that's 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 exactly right, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's too bad because it it is a, you know it is an incredible streak when you think about it. I mean, yeah. I, of of all the things that uh, you know, Gordy Howe did in his career, to me, his his record of durability. Now, he never had any streak like that, but you know, he played the vast, vast, vast majority of his games. Same thing with Nick Lidstrom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at the percentage of games played versus what he could have played, it's, you know, in the high 90s and the same with Gordy Howe. So um, I admire those guys that can not only play for a long period of time, but play every game, not have those serious injuries. Well, I When Mike and I were looking at this the other day, I remembered the guy who has the defenseman record for consecutive games, and he has since passed away. Probably most people have forgotten his name already, but Carlos Graskins, like he played like 495 games in a row as a defenseman. And, that's really hard too, if you think about it, because of the way that position is, and all the beating that you take. Right. I remember interviewing him when he when he broke the record, and like that was something where I was like, you know, good for this guy. He sort of made his mark in the game because otherwise we'd have looked at him and said, yeah, he's an okay defenseman, you know, stay at home guy, but he played a lot of games, and durability is is hard to come by in this league. 
and his record has been broken because right now the 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 leading consecutive game streak is Keith Yandel, which is I think he's okay. in the, he's in the six hundred. So, so I mean, but you're ta- you're talking you're talking four four to five seasons of Yandel playing every game, playing eighty two games for him to beat Doug Jarvis, which is you know that's going to be pretty tough because defenseman. Yeah, the defenseman shots. does it though. That's a, that would be unbelievable if you think about it. Yeah. Um, okay. So on the weekend, um, the the New York Rangers, I think, were a little bit of a focal point simply because they played a couple pretty bad performances. One against the Islanders, Matthew Barzal had five points against uh, the the Rangers at MSG, and then they go to Pittsburgh and lose. I believe it was five two to to the to the uh, the Penguins. And uh, I know that on the weekend, uh, Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet reported that, you know, the Rangers are starting to consider the possibility of shopping their rentals, guys like Grabner and Rick Nash and DeHarnay, as well as players who have like a year left, like Zuccarello and Ryan McDonough. Now, Kevin, I mean, this is a team that's still holding on to a playoff spot. They're, you know, they've got three teams behind them, one point behind them, but they're they're in the second wild card. It would be a little bit of a surprise if they go this way, but maybe they there's you know they're reading the writing on the wall. Well, it is interesting because uh, late last week I took a look at that and I compared the team to where it was in the year they reached the finals, and at that point. You know, if you sort of doubled where they're, you know, they were at at the half season, the record would have been almost identical to where they were in 2013-14. And in that one year, they that year they were, you know, fourth, I think, uh, defensively, but they were like 19th in terms of goal scoring uh, or something in that general area. And this year, um, I, I believe they were eighth defensively, uh, and their goal scoring was a little better than it was. So, you know... Like you can still sort of convince yourself that if they could turn it around, you know, they could be that team because they were dependent back then on on Henrik Lundqvist, and they still are. You know, they're they're Lundqvist dependent, uh, and in this case, I think they have a little more scoring than they had last time around. So, could they make a run? Well, you can convince yourself. The problem is this: you know, when you look at where they are in terms of the number of shots they give up. Like in this, and now, like the game has changed even since 2013 14. They just give up way too many shots mm-hmm. on goal. Like, uh, you know, they're ranked 30th now. They give up over 34 shots a game. It, it's been uh, since December 13th, since Henrik Lundqvist has faced fewer than 33 shots. Like, he's just constantly getting bombarded. And, you know, that's something that has to be cleaned up. So, I, you know, if I'm uh, Gordon, I'm looking at this team and I'm going to Vino saying, look, can you clean this up? Otherwise, you know, you, you do want to start dumping some uh, some rental players. So I, I think uh, uh, to me, it's not personnel when it's team defense. It's sort of an attitude adjustment. So unless the Rangers are willing to do that, this is going to be a uh, problem that they're, you know, they're not going to be able to correct through a trade. No, Russ. I, I think it's more complicated than that. I think I think the first part is, all you know, all regards to Elliot Friedman. There's no way the Rangers are trading Zuccarello, who's got one of the best contracts in the game, and he's he's Henrik Lundqvist's best friend. You trade him, and now you've pissed off your best player too. So I don't think that's the route they're going to go. Now McDonough, you can make an argument that he might be on the block, but again, I think he's playing all year with an injury, and he's still having an okay year. It's not a great year for Ryan McDonough, but he's been gutting it out literally all season. I really don't get the feeling they're going to trade either one of them, but Henrik Lundqvist was arguing with Lindy Ruff on the bench the other day. I was on SiriusXM with Larry Brooks. We both talked about Lindy Ruff and don't really get what his worth is to the team other than is he just hanging around for a coaching spot. And right now, Elaine Bigneault is is back to where he was where you know the questions exist, Kev. And the big questions are this. Yes, the defense stinks. We know that. But – they um, on offense. Pavel Buchnevich has been thrown down again to like the third line, second pairing power play. Like Vinny Letary was getting tons of power play time yesterday. He literally has come up from Minnesota through Hartford. He had 21 points in 31 game, 35 games, 12 goals. It wasn't like he was lighting up the league. 
He scored a goal in his first game. He's got three points in five games. And here he is taking shot after shot on a power play, hitting posts. And, and Pavel Buchnevis can barely sniff the power play. It's crazy. JT Miller early in the year was one of their best players and is now lost in the shuffle based on who they're pairing him with. And so I think you could look at the head coach and say, look, is he working with the best deck here? No, but I do think there's a better outcome that you can get with these guys. And I think Elaine Vigneault is close to losing this team because losing that game to the Islanders, the, the Rangers didn't even show up. Like the Islanders played a great game, but when you're letting Matt Barzell have all that real estate and time to do whatever he wants with the puck, either you didn't pay attention pregame or you don't have any legs because you didn't prepare well for the game. So I don't know which it is, but they clearly were unprepared for that game. Now the game against and, – and the other weird thing, Kev, in that one, we know how good of a scoring team the Islanders are. Why didn't Lundqvist play that game? You knew Jerry was going to go with the Penguins and your chances of losing to the Penguins are great anyhow. Why didn't you try and put your best in against the Islanders and then put Pavlik in against the Penguins? Like that to me was another surprising development. And then the Penguins game, they hung with them for a little while. And then all of a sudden, the Penguins become the Penguins, and you can't keep their pace up anymore, and the defense was failing. And, again, you're shuffling deck chairs, but when you have Nick Holden and Brendan Smith together, it's not going to work out. Yeah. And it didn't. Now, Brendan Smith got his first goal of the year, but he also made a lot of bad plays too. First goal of the game was, was due to him. So you look at that. They do have a kid, Ryan Graves in Hartford. I have no idea why he's never gotten a look. He's got 150 AHL games in him. He could play defense. He's not the best defenseman, but neither are any of these guys, Steve Camper included. At some point, you have to look at all these things. And I think right now, Vigneault is out of answers. And if he loses to Philly a third game in a row, that would definitely drop him below the playoff marker. I think that could cost Elaine Vigneault his job. I do. Well, looking looking at the the names that were that were brought up, especially the rentals, we've talked about Nash before. He's got a no move, and he's making seven point eight million dollars. So it would, I mean, unless he yeah, unless he's going, unlikely to go anywhere, right? Exactly. Grabner, on the other hand, a million six, and he's you know he's been pretty good for them, and is very inexpensive. So I think they could get a lot for him as a as a rental, but. The re, I mean, the reason that a McDonough and a Zuccarello are out there, Russ, in terms of maybe potentially being shopped, is because their contracts are so reasonable. McDonough's, I think, one of the you know, top ten or fifteen defensemen in the game. He's making four point seven million dollars. He's but, making. But you have to look at it. Here's the thing. I think people, when they listen to these rumors, are thinking the Rangers are going to rebuild. The Rangers are not going to rebuild. Right. The Rangers do not rebuild. So. If they're not going to go through a full rebuild, why would you trade your best defenseman? It makes no sense. No matter what you think you're getting back asset-wise, right. you're not getting Rasmus Dahlin, and you're not getting a defenseman that could replace McDonough. You, you'll get somebody who you could put on the second pair, and they've already got a bunch of second and third pair and fourth pair, really, if you think about it, um, guys on the team. So it makes no sense to even float those guys out there, Zuccarello included, again, I think Zuccarello will be a Ranger as long as Lundqvist is. Like, these guys are tied at the hip. And, and again, Kevin knows the value of this. Now, in the old days, someone like George Steinbrenner would trade a best friend to sort of wake up a team. But I don't think the Rangers dare do that to Lundqvist because I think there could be some really bad outcome with that. And, again, listen, Henrik Lundqvist, he could stay there and live out his contract or he could do what Pavel Datsuk did and, and go back, you know, overseas for a year or two and call it a game early. Right. I mean, there's no guarantee he's going to live out that contract. And if you trade like his best friend and he doesn't think that they're a winner anymore, yeah. I think you're speeding up that process. Now, of course, there's those people that say, well, you trade Lundqvist and get all you can get. I don't think Lundqvist wants to be traded. I think he wants to win a championship there. Yeah. And if he doesn't win a championship there, I think he's just going to walk away from the game. He, I really do. That's what I've always felt. He could very easily go back to the Swedish league and play with his brother for Lunda or something like yeah. that and you know, do that. But – um, now we're six weeks from the trade deadline. I, I believe the deadline is on a Monday, the 26th of February. And Kev, you'll, you'll probably still be in Pyeongchang at that point, correct? I'll be dry, actually trying to fly home uh, that very day. So I'm going to miss my first tra trade deadline in 30 years. So yeah, that, right. And now, right now, it look and you know, being six weeks out, it, 
most teams are not going to start making moves. Although the Coyotes made made a you know a semi important move with the with the Duclair uh, Ponic deal last week. I mean, I, I I you know what were your thoughts on that on that one, Kev? Well, I I, I thought that uh, it was a good roll of the dice for Stan Bowman. I mean, they were looking for speed on the wing. Uh, you know, that was sort of around the. Uh, around the league, and uh, you know, du- Duclair can do that. He's a younger player. I mean, it'll come down to how Duclair works with uh, Quinville, and you know, I mean, we've seen that before with uh, Bowman and Quinville. Is they're not uh, sometimes they're not you know together on these trades. Uh, uh, you know, Bowman makes the trade that he thinks is a good good move, and then Quinville has the guy for a while and decides no, it, it won't work. Not with my you know, the way I coach and the way I want to do things. So, you know, that'll be crucial as how he kind of fits in. And that was, it has been an issue where he's been before. I mean, I think there was, uh, he didn't mess with the coaching staff in Arizona. Um, I so think it's, it's be- fascinating when you say that, Kev, too, about Quenville and Bowman, because I, I, it's totally obvious that that's the way things operate. But you have to admit, like, in some sports, like, the GM basically could tell the coach, listen, you're playing this guy, I got him, yeah. and it's over. But not in this sport with some no. of these coaches. It's it's no, crazy. I mean that. Yeah, I mean it's like you know same thing with uh, our good friend Mike Babcock. You mm-hmm. know, Lamarillo has certainly got his power, and he can make the deals. And you know, he, he has told me that they're on the same page, and I don't think there's been any problems there. But at some point, that could happen. Lamarillo could make a guy or make a trade, bring him in, and Babcock just may decide, you know, I don't like the guy. And Babcock, you know, he he he's not fearful. You know, so he'll just do it. Well, you know? he's a, he's a, there's a, I mean, it's been a, over a minor player like Frankie Corrado, but there's already been there's already been that little friction between Lamorello and, and Babcock because Lamorello just claimed Corrado off of waivers from Vancouver, and Babcock essentially refused to play him for a year and a half until he was finally traded to to Pittsburgh at the deadline last year. And he's, you know, he's played favorites with guys like Leo Komarov. He played him 24 minutes in a game last week, and insists on playing Roman Polak in the lineup instead of younger, quicker defensemen, much to the chagrin of some of the Toronto fans. So I think that's already happened, but I think essentially they're on the same page when it comes to like big players, because Lamorello is not going to go out and stick out his neck and go and make a trade for a guy that Babcock is not going to play. So yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. But, and I think it, it, you know, there's a big difference between, I think there are some GMs who know their coaches are going to play whoever they give them because, you know, the GM there has all the power. And there's some GMs who who sort of like Lamarell and Babcock who sort of make trades based on the ideas. I know what kind of players my coach is going to, mm-hmm. you know, play. You know, you, it, it just depends on your relationship between the GM and the coach of how it's going to work out. In Bowman's case, I think he just goes for it. He make, makes the trades and, and says, okay, we'll just see what Quinville, you know, has to say about it. I didn't mind that trade from Arizona either. I think Ponick can – you know, score some goals. They need some goals. Uh, you know, can they retain them? That's the question. Well, I well, I, oh. I actually think the motivation for the deal on the part of Arizona was not how good Panic is, which because you know he scored twenty goals last year, he could do it again. But I think it's the fact that he was only under contract for another year, and the two point eight million helps them reach the cap floor next year. I, I really think that that was some of the, you know, instead of going out in free agency, having to sign somebody for two, three, four years, they have a guy for one year and that's $3 million, almost $3 million that they don't have to worry about to get to the cap floor. And we know that, you know, that's always a concern for the, for the coyotes. I worry about it. I looked at a different Kev. I looked at it like, okay, you got Ponick, but what if he does score 20, 25 goals? Is he really resigning with Arizona? Chances are he's, he's testing free agency. And that's where I think they sort of get beat on this trade. If Duclair has any production in Chicago, but again, on the surface, you're right. I mean, it, it could benefit them, but to me, it's only if they can retain the player, if they don't retain them, then they literally just let Duclair go. They just, yeah. they would just flip them. They would just flip them as a rental next year. If, if, if right. has another good year, but, there is breaking news. And, and this, is, this is just breaking rumor at the moment, but we have to look at it. Um, so Jason Spetzer is a healthy scratch in today's game against yeah. the Bruins. I was going to bring that and, up. Yeah. Now, Jim Nell, we, we all know Jim Nell. <laughs> and Jim Nell says he does expect Spetzer to play in Detroit tomorrow. But, like, that's not a guarantee. He just says he expects him to. Yeah. So, Kev, do we think that there's something up with Jason Spetzer moving? I, I, boy, I don't know. You know, it certainly hasn't gone well for him there this season. And, um, 
Um, and Hitchcock could be pushing him out the door. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I tend to take Jim Nill at his word. Like, mm -hmm. if he's really says he's expecting him to play tomorrow, then I would, you know, he's never lied to me. And, you know, that's not, it's not his, uh, his, you know, his reputation to sort of play games. Like, if he says he expects him to play, he probably does. So I, I would think there's not a trade based on the way he phrased that. But this is the second time that there's been a little bit of, you know, a peak of interest and some a little bit of friction regarding Spets. And now he's he's got yeah. 16 points in 44 games this year, and he's signed for another year at seven and a half. Still play. I've watched. I, I know, but 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 Russ, seven and a half million. You're talking. That's that's the thing. The problem is, this is this is a thing with Ken Hitchcock. Now Hitchcock has now probably looked at Spets and said, "I've given you half a season to play my game." And you're not playing it my way, so now you're you're riding the bench, and I guess this is where someone like Jim Nill is going to have to decide. Let me at least see what he's worth out there, mm -hmm. because if I could get something good for him, maybe it's in my best interest to make this deal. And if not, then I'm going to tell Ken put him back in, and then they're going to have some friction this year. Which you know, again, he's one of those coaches, Kev. I've seen it. I've seen it with Patrick Sharp in Philly. Uh, you know, Ken Hitchcock will get rid of players if he doesn't like what you're doing in his system. I wonder if he has the same clout anymore, though. You know, like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he does. He might yeah. with the owner, though, right? Because the owner wanted him in. Wanted yeah, Hitchcock no, that, back. That, yeah, that's true. That is true. So maybe he does still have the same clout. But yeah. I don't think he would be trade because of that $7.5 million. Well, a couple other interesting situations that popped up over the weekend regarding veteran players uh start with uh jack johnson who reportedly requested a trade uh from the columbus blue jackets now there there had been apparently some negotiation between johnson and the blue jackets regarding a contract extension he's a ufa at the end of the year you know we know about the situation with him and his parents where his parents and they basically embezzled money from him and you know he's looking for an extension i think probably because he's got not a lot of money and he, he wants some wants some uh, financial security at age 31. He's probably coming up on maybe his last big contract and there hasn't been any progress. So he's requested a trade, but Kevin, I don't know whether the blue jackets who are in a position right now, you know, being in a playoff spot in the Metro, I don't think they're going to move them. No, I, I don't think so either. Just for that. I mean, you know what, really what's the upside for them? I mean, they, you know, they don't need, uh, you know, a, a draft pick, which is all that he would bring at this point, mm -hmm. I think, in his career. Um, you know, they need his services. Um, and uh, it, to me, it makes perfect sense just for to let him just play it out. And, you know, they lose him, they lose him, mm -hmm. uh, but they need him. You know, this, you know, the Blue Jackets, we've talked about them before. They, you know, they're an, an interesting team. I think we, we all sort of like them. Yeah. They can be very difficult to play against. Uh, they just need to start to just sort of step it up a little bit. And I, I just don't think they need That's what they need, a good winning streak. Yeah, they need, to, they need to get it together. And I know, you know, I know for a fact that Torrell has just been frustrated by him, that he just yeah. feels like they've got another gear and they just haven't been able to, to find it. So I, I think even though – and I say this to the readers all the time and it drives them crazy because they always say, well, but he requested a trade. And I said, well, they don't have to give it to him. It was just a request. You know, and I, I just don't think they'll follow through on this. I think they'll just, uh, you know, keep on, uh, you know, moving along with the, the lineup they have. Well, I, I, agree with that. I, I, don't, I don't think unless you're swapping defenseman for defenseman. I don't think they can afford to get rid of them anyhow. Well, yeah. unless you're unless you're shopping rental for rental, because in, in yeah. watching the Blue Jackets twice last week, the one thing that pops up with them is they need goal scoring badly. Their, their power play is 30th in the NHL. They're, the only one worse is Buffalo. And, you know, they, they this is a team that's got Wierenski and, and, and Seth Jones. And I know that some players are out, like Wenberg is out right now. But I think before the deadline, Yarmo Kekalainen, who was in Toronto last week watching the Senators and the Leafs play, I think he's got he's probably got to pull the trigger on, on – getting some offense. That's where I think they're probably going to need to go, but I don't think you're going to get that for Jack Johnson. No, I mean, you know, that doesn't help him. I don't think trading Jack Johnson for offense helps. I, you know, I you, you create another hole. So I, I do think they need to get offense though. And I think they will. I, I think they're going to be in on, 
uh, you know, whatever scores are available, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, Vanek or, uh, you know, you know, when they look at a Vander Kane, you know, they could, they'll look at all, I think, of the scores that are available to be sure. I'd be shocked if Torts goes with a Vanek because I think if they gave him his choice, he probably wouldn't because Vanek's, he's literally 50-50 whether he does well with the next team he goes to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the I think that's fair. Uh, I don't think he's their first choice, but I'm just right. saying, at some point, they have to get goals, and they're just going to look and see who's available. And there's not many available. Yeah, you know, when you ask the general managers around the league, they say the same thing. When you say, "Well, you know, what do you?" He goes, "Well, who am I going to trade for?" They, you know, they keep yeah. they keep asking me that. Like, who who is it you think I'm going to get? Because they don't see all the available players that we see. Well, the bizarre so. the bizarre rumor that came up over the weekend was that, you know, and we know that the right now the Habs are. You know, they're teetering on seller mode. We're six weeks out, so, you know, they don't have to commit to anything right now. They'll probably wait right. if, they, if they're going to move a patch ready or a Galchenyuk. But the report came out that they're really interested in, in Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in Connor McDavid. It doesn't mean you're going to get him. But, but, okay, the Habs are interested in Pierre-Luc Dubois, and I'm sure that's the French-Canadian thing. But, you know, are you going to give up? Galchenyuk for Pierre-Luc Dubois. I mean, I, I, I don't even know if that does it, Russ. I mean, is that enough for Pierre-Luc Dubois? No. I, no. Listen, I, I'm not trading Pierre-Luc Dubois for Galchenyuk anyhow. There's no way, no how. And I don't think Kekalainen would do it either because I think the, the short ter term would would really look good and the long term would not look so good because you're, you're talking about a, a, a big powerful kid who could score 25 goals, right. play defense and hit people with a ton of bricks. I don't see that trade happening. Now the, the other, the Never. other situation that started to get mentioned on the weekend and then came to the, the, the move came to fruition this morning was Paul Martin defenseman for the San Jose Sharks, 36 year old veteran. Um, he was placed on waivers. There was talk that Doug Wilson was trying to move him. He hasn't been in the lineup for, I think it was like seven straight games or like three, three weeks. He's back healthy after off season ankle surgery. Kev, I don't know. I mean, this is, a, I think the big hurdle here is the fact that he's got another year at almost 5 million. And, you know, maybe it would have been a deal where, if San Jose shaved some money off or if they took a contract back, it would be something that another team would be interested in. But I don't think anybody's going to claim them at almost 5 million for another year and a half. No, not, not at all. And I think those are one of the issues. And this is, you know, the, you know, one of the hardships of the salary cap for veteran players is that, you yeah. know, it's almost priced, uh, you know, Martin out of playing uh, anymore because nobody, right. You know, the Sharks don't want to – have always been sort of careful with their money. I mean, mm. sort of underrated with uh, what Doug Wilson has done there. But, you know, they don't always go to the cap. He keeps them, uh, you know, right to where the budget is supposed to be. And uh, I don't see them, uh, you know, uh, paying any of the cal of the contract to move them. Um, so uh, I, I just think, you know, he's going to be sitting there. I don't see he's going to end up any anywhere. I mean, you could – unless you pull a Lou Lamarillo – um, and like Vladimir Malakoff deal where you trade a first round pick and him and get a real player in return, mm -hmm. you probably could do that. Yeah. But or, that's it. Yeah. I mean, and, and of course, uh, right, cause Malakoff never played a game after, after the devils traded him, but they, they moved him out. Yeah. But that that's was, the only, that was, that was with that was when you could bury the salary completely in the minors. It's not the same. It's not the same. Right. You know, somebody somebody was asking no. me if you if you waive them and then you call them back up, can a team pick them up for half the amount? I mean, that's no, that's the previous CBA. That's not this one. Right. You know, you're right. going to take the full four point eight million dollar hit. So, you know, the only way San Jose is going to move them is to take a contract back or to 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 or to uh, trade to, a pick with it. If they trade a first round pick in it, they'll get a player back and they'll and someone will eat that contract like in Arizona. You could probably do that. Yeah, it's that's possible, but I, I I seriously doubt he'll be he'll be claimed, and you know maybe he could be moved, but I I think that that Wilson is going to have to eat some money to to get that to make that happen. Now a big bullet was dodged uh, by the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, we the last time we had a show, it was just at the point where you know the prognosis on Victor Hedman was coming out. There was some speculation right around the, the showtime that he was going to be out for the year. It turned out to be a very good scenario for the Lightning. He's only out three to six weeks with a meniscus tear, which, by the way, is the same injury 
uh, that Steven Stamkos had that cost him most of last season. Kevin, if they would have lost Hedman, I mean, they're, to me, they're the odds-on favorite to come out of the East. I think the, the Hedman injury, he's irreplaceable. I don't think that they would have knocked down their chances significantly. Oh, for sure. Uh, he's just such a talented player at uh... – you know, in all three zones, uh, you know, they, they still certainly would have had a shot because uh, just when you sort of dismiss, you, you've got to remember what the Penguins did without Latang last year, who was so important to them, or so it seemed, mm-hmm. and they managed to do it. And, you know, I think uh, this season that uh, Tampa Bay group is, is, is very similar to the Penguins in terms of their offensive, you know, dynamics and so forth. And they still had Strawman and Sergachev is moving up. This is a big opportunity, I think, for Sergachev who uh, will get, uh, you know, expanded uh, responsibilities and Edmonds, uh, you know, absence. And, boy, what a deal that was for them. Uh, you know, Sergeyev is uh, is going to be an exceptional player. It's crazy. Play. It was, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, it is interesting. You know, what, what's interesting in the East is, is that Tampa has been so good since the beginning of the season that we're sort of not paying attention to. Like, the Washington Capitals deserve – you know, yep. some credit for it. I think everybody in hockey thought they were going to take not a not a full step, but a half step back last mm-hmm. season. You know, they couldn't afford to keep uh, uh, their free agents. Uh, Williams was gone. Uh, you know, Shattenkirk is gone. Uh, uh, you know, they lost a key the defender and a defenseman in the expansion draft. Uh, it just it, – it, and they made uh, – they traded Johansson uh, for yep. financial reasons. Uh I, I thought they weren't going to be able to keep Oshie, but they managed to do that, which is a very important uh, step. But, um, you know, and then lo and behold, look where they're at. You know, in a very difficult division, they're, um, you know, right there at the top of the Metropolitan. So you got to give they're them a uh, there, And I give them great credit, too. The only thing, Kev, though, I still think they're too easy to play against to go far in the playoffs. I Unless yeah. something changes there. Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, uh, the one thing, you know, before there was such high expectations and the, the expectations has really been diminished. Uh, like you don't hear people talking about the Capitals making a run or maybe this is their year. So maybe, you know, being able to be in the shadows this year will, will help them. And we'll have to see. Uh, and, uh, you know, because good Lord, they can end up playing the Penguins in the first round. Um, you know, who knows? But uh, I, I think they've done a really nice job given the circumstances they've had this season. But they have more than more than likely with the lack with the loss of the depth that they had last year, they're probably going to be buyers at the deadline because they have a they have a chance with you know I don't know if the East is wide open because I think Tampa Bay is the best, but you know for them to get to the Eastern Conference Final against against the Lightning, I, I think they're going to need a little more than the two offensive lines that they have and maybe bolstering their blue line a little bit. Um, now, a couple other things. Um, Bruce Garriock and the Ottawa Sun reported that John Chaika is putting out feelers there regarding the two veteran defensemen that they have, Ekman Larson and Yarmolson. Um, I didn't realize this. Ekman Larson is the worst plus minus in the league at minus 40. I don't think that's going to affect- I ignore that 100%. I, I don't think that's going to affect the, the price they're going to get no. back because he's a premium defender. You know, he's, yeah. he's a great, he's a great player, but that it was just shocking that, 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 you know, he's, I mean, he plays a lot of ice time, so he's going to be out there for a lot of goals, but the reported asking price right now is two NHL players in a first round pick. Not going to, it's not going to happen in season. If that's, if that's what Chaika is looking for. No, I won't, it, it won't happen in season, but it'll happen. Someone, yeah. someone will, will reach those terms. Uh, it could be a Vegas, you know, like it's going to be a team that has a lot of assets and they're going to reach those terms. And if they do reach those terms, then I want to see what the Arizona fans do, because then this rebuild that they're on yeah. stays continuous. Well, the- it really does, because there's no, uh, you know, unless they get Darlene, unless they score that first pick or even they get Boquist, unless they get, even if they get Quinn Hughes, I'll give them Quinn Hughes. If they don't get one of those three defensemen in this draft, right will never be replaced it's the same as like when the rangers lost brian leach there's never been a guy to replace them there'll never be a guy to replace them right now there's the, the uh, gary Ock mentioned three teams uh toronto new jersey and philadelphia philadelphia is the one that makes the least amount of sense because they're so loaded on defense but if they right. yeah but they had the assets though and that's the they thing did. if if again if they're going to get ekman larson and it's going to cost them let's say sanheim 
and, and maybe they have to trade Morgan Frost and a pick, even though Ron Hextall may not want to do it, he's going to look at that because if he can walk away with a first pairing of Ekman Larson and Provorov, mm -hmm. he's now looking at a Stanley Cup run when he gets a better goalie in there. And so, yeah, Provorov would make uh, Ekman Larson a better player too. Yeah, absolutely. It would be one of the best pairings in hockey. Now, the only here's my only reluctance on this. Uh, a, a week ago, I talked to people in Arizona that matter, and they had no zero interest in trading Ekman Larson. Now, I I'm hesitant <coughs> to, to discount the report because you don't know what's happened between the time I talked and sure. that. Right. I mean, Ekman Larson's uh, you know could have said, "Look, I'm not resigning here," uh, right. and if that's the case, then uh, you know that. You know, then you're also maybe going to trade Hill Jarmerson as well because right. you know, the reason you got Hill Jarmerson was to play with Ekman Larson and you know their friends and so forth. So um, I would never say never, but I do know that a week ago it was no one's intention to trade Ekman Larson. They were going to try to you know get him re-signed, and I think they felt like they had a shot. Now, who knows what's happened since then? Jarmerson's got a limited no trade, and the re the report from Gary Ox said that he is not interested in playing for any Canadian teams. Uh, again, why do I just have this feeling that he's going to end back up in Chicago? I, I just I, I, I got to ask the bigger picture though, because Kevin does talk to Chica, and it's not all his fault because ownership certainly doesn't let him spend the way a GM would like to spend. But but Kev, let's say they do trade these two guys, just hypothetically. Where do they go from there? Then yeah. you're talking about a lengthy rebuild again, right? You're talking about five years, maybe. Well, I mean, you know, there. I I just think the sense of frustration there. Uh, that's why you know when you brought up about panic, at some point, you know, you have to make moves based on the idea that we're going to be able to keep our players. Um, right. You know, Winnipeg Jets, if they would have continued on with the idea of well. You know, once they get to the chance, they're going to leave us. Well, you, you, you can't operate like that. So they got to be able to keep some players. And, you know, I think worse than actually losing the player in Ekman Larson, which is a significant loss, mm -hmm. worse for them is the fact that they, they weren't able to keep them. And by that, I mean, right. it just says yet again that nobody wants to stay there because, you know, they don't know what the arena situation is. And, and you know, I've been. I just assumed that it was going to work out in Arizona because the NHL was so committed, and I'm less sure of that now. Uh, you know, I, you know, I've said for years. Well, eventually they'll work it out because the league wants it to work there. And now I'm not sure. I mean, where's the arena? You know, we've been waiting on this for a while. Um, the political climate doesn't seem right for them to go downtown, even though that's what they want to do. I don't think the NBA uh, wants the team wants them down there. So we'll see. Yeah, and the, it, it just transitioning to Ottawa because not and you know Ottawa got to within one goal of the Stanley Cup final, so they've had some success there. But with the with the Melnick situation, with them talking about cutting back budget, with them you know the mayor of Ottawa coming out last week and saying you know there's no money from us to to build a stadium in downtown Ottawa, um, you know, and now the. You know, it appears Pierre Dorian is going to be patient and wait to get the best return on some of the players that they're supposedly shopping. But, you know, he's putting they're putting out the name of Mike, Mike Hoffman, who it's not a coincidence. As soon as the 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 front loaded contract or the, excuse me, the back loaded contract went up to more than the cap pit, he automatically became available. And they're they're shopping, supposedly shopping guys like Zach Smith and Jean-Gabriel Pajot. And Dion Phaneuf's $7 million contract is being – I mean, there's a lot of names being thrown out, thrown out there, and it's it could all just be chatter. But, you know, sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire, Kevin. That's that's the thing. It, it seems like a chaotic situation with the Senators. Yeah, no, I, I do think the Senators are going to make some moves. I, you know, I've kind of heard from talking to GMs that there's a lot of talk about a lot of Senators players. And I don't think it's going to be Carlson, um, but – I do expect Hoffman to be traded, and I think they got other moves they're going to make as well. Um, and uh, I think they're in that process of, you know, they want to sort of change their team on the fly. Um, you know, they've got some nice young players, as we all yes. know. Yeah, and I know. picked it up. Everybody wanted to focus on when he was like stone cold. You know, he's got twelve points now, and he's had a, a multi-goal game. He's picked it up in the last five, six games. So I see what you're saying, Kevin. I think you're right, and. Look, Hoffman, just because he's having a down year, he's got a lot of value. 
He does. Yeah, yeah he, he does. And they and they have young players that are going to change the direction yeah. of the team. And uh, I know Russ has talked about a bunch of them. Logan there. Brown. Logan Brown's the biggest. Yeah. Colin yeah. White, Thomas oh, Shabbat. Yeah, Shabbat, absolutely. So I think they feel like they can get a lot for Hoffman, and I think they can move some other pieces. They can create some openings. I mean, that's right. that's the key to – um, you know, changing on the fly, which is very difficult to do, is you have to create the opportunities for these guys to kind of move in and sort of explore yeah. their talents. And, you know, that in Vancouver, like, uh, it, you know, the injuries sort of undermined what they were doing. But, you know, we all saw what uh, happened when they uh, allowed their younger players more opportunities. It, it, you know, it was it was a more spirited team. And the Sedins, I give the Sedins so much credit for sort of you know, allowing that to happen without complaint. Um, they, they did a good job of that. So, Russ, do you think that they're, and, you know, he's got a contract for another three years that's $7 million. Do you think that there is any way that Ottawa finds another team that, like the Leafs did in Ottawa, to trade and get another team to take the full hit of Dion Phaneuf's contract? Or do you think they're going to have to? Maybe Columbus, some- could you trade Jack Johnson for him? Maybe. Yeah, but it's but three more years. I know, but I mean, they want to win. They want to win, and if if Torts thinks he could use them, is that impossible? I don't think it's impossible. No, that doesn't really address their issue, though. They need goals. They need goals. Yeah, I I mean, he does have capability of scoring some goals, for sure. But I mean, I think they need to spend their money elsewhere. There. Yeah, they they need help. They need help up the middle, and and and. Sure. I know, I know, I know that the talk about Hoffman was St. Louis, and and we saw, you know, in person, Russ, the you know the prospects that the Blues have in Thomas oh, and yeah. Kairou, so that they've got a lot of young prospects that they could move if they want to add a scoring winger. A uh, couple other things quickly. Um, John Tavares made a statement uh, today, and I, I don't know how many times he's got to an- answer this question. I guess he'll have to keep answering. It's going to have to be a lot. Yeah, until he actually signs the contract. But he came out and he says, I want to stay on Long Island. I haven't thought about playing anywhere else except with the Islanders. You can't get more definitive than that, but I don't think he's going to have to keep answering. But he still questions. hasn't signed, Mike. So but he still, but he still hasn't signed. If you're in New York City, yes, and you still haven't signed, you could say you want to play or be with a team. And there's reporters that have been there for 30, 40 years that say, "Yeah, we've heard that before." Right. And 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 the thing is, the Islanders right now, if the if the season ended today, are out of the playoffs. So if they're right. if they're a point or two out out of the playoffs. Is there is there any scenario where Garth Snow says, "Okay, I'm going to deal him"? No. No. Yep. Zero. Nope. Zero. Okay. Yeah. Um, to finish the show, Kev, uh, wanted to get your impressions on the Olympic rosters for Canada and the U.S. They came out late last week. Russ and I, I think, excoriated both in terms of just well, we like Canada is better. We agree. Yes, on that. Can, can, the one thing yeah. about Canada is every player on the Canadian roster, I believe, every player played in the NHL at least a game. Um, I, I think I'm pretty sure on that. If it wasn't everyone, that was like 95 percent of them. But the U.S., I was a little. I I, I just thought that there would, there would be there would be more there, and it just it was a little disappointing. I, I don't see any way that that team has any kind of success. But you know, who who, I'm, who am I? I mean, everybody's rosters will look exactly the same. I I thought Canada's roster was a little better myself, uh, just in terms. But you know, neither one of them um, would be confused with a team that could compete in the NHL. Um, right. But I think, you know, Sweden's roster will look like that. Finland's roster will look like that. The only difference will be I think the the uh, Russian uh, lineup will have more names that we recognize. Uh, and, you know, because they've been able to keep some of their talented players in their league because they like playing over there and they do pay sort of NHL-style money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I – I think both of them, Canada and the U.S., were exactly the way I thought they, they were going to Well, work. here's the thing, though, Kev. Where is it exactly the way you thought with the backup goalies that were chosen for the U.S.? Because, like, those guys don't even have – they barely have any AHL experience. Like, I just thought they went real bottom on the on the backup goalies where I would rather have the young guys bring them along. If, if this is going to continue this way and there's not going to be NHLs in the next Olympics, you're yeah. going to need guys to sort of piggyback to see what the process is like you had an opportunity to at least bring a Wall or an Ottinger or both, yeah. and instead you reached out for guys that are literally 
26 and 33 years old that have no NHL experience and almost no AHL experience. I thought that's a little crazy. Well, I thought they've, yeah. played, they've played well in Europe. You know, that's why they took them. I mean, I, I think they tried to give the junior guys opportunities, and um, that's why they waited. They wanted to see him play in the World Juniors. They wanted to, uh, you know, not have them uh, either impacted positively or negatively. They told all the goalies, the five goalies, you know, that's the one area where they didn't have a lot of options, um, and they knew going in. And it was either going to take younger guys or it was going to take, you know, they only in the AHL there was no, uh, there just weren't, you know, many options of guys who run AHL only contracts. So, um, and I don't know. I mean, the the American the young goalies didn't distinguish themselves in the World Juniors. Um, you know, there was oh, nothing wrong. I, I think Wall was good. I think either one of them was good enough to to have a spot on that team. I mean. If you're going to tell me the Czech Elite League is a better measuring stick, I, I'd probably argue with you. Kev, what I was surprised at is that they didn't take one of the young – you know, usually there's that yeah. third goalie who's the yeah. who's the apprentice yeah. goaltender, and they didn't they didn't do that. And, you know, as as I said, and, I and, you know, we can we can just agree to disagree. I mean, I, I, I wish they would have gone and picked more NCAA players who were 20 and 21 than picking Mark Arcabello and Bobby Butler and, and, and Brian, you know, Brian Gianta is the, probably is the captain of the team, but I, I, I just think it would have been more entertaining and more in, insightful to, to watch younger players play. And I think in this tournament, I think they could have matched up against other teams, maybe not the Russians, but other teams as well. So. I don't know. Well, I don't see, but I don't think college players are necessarily better than Arcabello. I mean, you know, he's you know he's leading the Swiss league, I think, in scoring still. Right. Um, you know, I, I would. I'll tell you this, and this is just me. I will take either Middlestat or Brady Kachuk over Chad Kolarik every day of the week. I don't care how many, because I know what Chad Kolarik can do. I don't know what those other guys can do given the big stage, and I'd like to see what they can do. I already know what the other guy can do and what his limitations are. Yeah, when you have young guys like this, you don't know what might be coming, and usually it's pretty great. And I just think passing on those guys or I, – I, I thought I, I thought they would take middle, uh, middle stat, and I yeah. sort of wish they would. I mean, historically, the Americans have, have entrusted, uh, you know, uh, younger players with roles, you know, go back to Eddie Goldschmidt. Let him play with a veteran. He'd be yeah. great. Yeah. No, I – I, I can't argue with you about Middlestat to be sure. I I do I don't have any problems with them taking the guys who are playing well in Europe because that's how this this tournament will be played. You know, this tournament will be played by the top players in Europe. And those are the Americans' top players in Europe. Um and um I you know I think that's just the way you go. But uh, you know, saying that I would have tried Middlestat uh because just for the reasons that uh uh, you know, you articulated. It's just you know, you might hit you might hit a home run. Um, yeah. You know, on the big ice and uh, with a guy who's hungry and doesn't know what he doesn't know. Now, here's the no. thing, and you may have asked this question. I didn't hear the answer at City Field for Gianta, but it's not like Gianta is really used to playing on the on the big ice, and he's 38 years old. This could be a really bad experiment too. Well, I mean, he did play there obviously in 2006 with the U.S. Yeah. big team. That is a while ago. Uh, that was a while ago. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, you know, I've seen a lot of criticism as if like, you know, like Gianta is, is, you know, how can you expect Gianta to carry this team? I would be stunned yeah. if he plays more than 12 or 13 minutes. Yeah, uh, Gianta, great, but on the big ice, he might play less. Gianta's <laughs> being brought in to fulfill the Chris Drury role. He's the space yeah. guy. He's the veteran, yeah. the sage veteran. No, where I, I had the problem is, like I said, I like Russ said, I, I wanted to see Middlestat and Kachuk. And yeah. you know, a little, a little more youthful exuberance, and some guys who I think, because I think the problem with the, the the U.S. team is going to be scoring goals. There's not a lot of offense there, so you know, if they're going to win, it's going to be two one, one nothing. And I don't know if they have the goal. Hoping the goalies from the KHL is good because yeah. you know the KHL, other than a couple of elite goalies, it's not like goalies have had great success there. Yeah, well, I mean, all the goalies, they have measured up their goalies against the goalies they think were going to be in the other teams, and obviously in the KHL, he's outperformed them. I mean, he's got uh -huh. numbers that Polsky does in the KHL. Now, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, the defense uh, that they have, like Matt Gilroy has been a very effective over there. I think he'll be fine. 
you know, they don't have a star back there. And these no. are not guys that, uh, you know, over here, Gilroy is a six, seven, right. Uh, you know, when he plays and over there, he's a, you know, a top four guy. Well, listen, so. hey, back, back in his draft year, <clears throat> I had a lot of faith in him, but again, I think John Tortorella sort of broke him down mentally when he wasn't fitness, his fitness wasn't right and all that. And I think, you know, he just toiled in Carolina for a while. Now he probably could still play a bit. I don't disagree with that because he's a younger guy. But but these are all guys that when we're talking about them, it sounds like we're playing it safe as a team. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It'll be interesting when we see the other lineups, what they'll look like. But I think Rush's lineup will look at that and go, wow. <laughs> I do think that. So. What do you think, like, Kev, you know Pavel Datsuk a little, bit, a little bit. How do you think he's going to feel when he's out on the ice against some of that? Oh, I know. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. So. It- and and finally, the la- the la- the last thing that I, regarding this is the f- fact that the criticism of the game times for, uh, which are I, I from what I read, it was like there will be one set of games that are going to start around 10 p.m. Eastern time, and then there's some 1 a.m. starts as well. Uh, that was what it was in in Nagano in '98, and that's what it would be in China in 2022. And if the NHL goes to China, I don't think anybody's going to be complaining about the, the starting times. No, yeah, and those are set, and there's nothing really they can do about that. They got to do it, you know, local time. So, yep. okay, anyway, I got to run, guys. Thanks, hey, Kevin. Thanks. Great show. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast for Kevin Allen, for Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.